This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Feisty, fearless, and fair. She's an Emmy-winning journalist from the White House to war zones, telling all sides of the story. This is the Rita Cosby Show. It was a deadly weekend in the United States, and boy, the Democrats, all they can talk about are guns, guns, guns. What about throwing the books at the criminals who are using the guns? Boy, are Democrats playing politics, and I want to hear your thoughts tonight as to what you think of the fact that Democrats keep repeatedly talking about gun control. I do think there are issues we can do with that, and we're going to get to that in a moment. But what about the issue of making it difficult for those who commit the crimes? What about going after repeat offenders? And in fact, later on in this hour here on the Rita Cosby Show, we're going to talk to Deputy DA John Hatami because it is incredible that things are so bad in places like Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, Philly, Chattanooga, Tennessee over the weekend, too. We got a lot to talk about. But, for example, in L.A., things are so bad that they're in the works of trying to do a recall effort. This is a second one. And John Hatami is the deputy D.A., under good old Soros back DA, like many of them are in these liberal cities, George Gascon. And he is going to join us about an incredible case of a juvenile repeat offender who plows down a mother and her child. And guess what? Gascon basically gives him a slap on the wrist. He gets five months in a summer camp. If that isn't the epitome of soft on crime, I don't know what is. So John Hatami is going to be joining us to talk about why he thinks it is so important to get rid of his boss. That's how bad things are, that the deputy DAs who work for these guys, can you imagine you work at a company and things are so bad that you're like, we got to get rid of my boss, and they're publicly working on a recall effort because they are so worried about the citizens in their communities getting victimized again by the DA, who's not throwing the book at these thugs. So we're going to talk about that. And by the way, tomorrow night, this is a huge referendum. Chesa Boudin, who is the DA of San Francisco, there is a recall vote tomorrow night for him. And he could very well get kicked out tomorrow night. Boy, is that good news. There will be a big celebration, believe me, around the country if that happens, because that could be the beginning of these end of basically these soft on crime DAs, these far left sorrow back DAs that we see all over the country. George Soros spent about a million bucks on Gascon. He spent tons of money on Chesa Boudin in Philly, all over the place. Alvin Bragg in New York. 
So is it the beginning of the end? Are even Democrats in these cities? Because a lot of Democrats signed on to the recall effort to get rid of Chesa Boudin, by the way, in San Fran. They had to get X amount of you know signatures to put it on for a vote. They got the signatures, and now the vote's about to happen. But what's amazing is that town, San Francisco, is overwhelmingly Democrat. So guess what? It was Democrats who mostly said, enough. So thank goodness that it shouldn't be a Democrat or Republican issue. It's an American issue, and I'm really happy to see that American on all sides of the political aisle are standing up to make sure that our cities are safe. And boy, was it a really horrible, ugly, deadly weekend in so many different cities across the country. Get this, almost two dozen people were killed, about 100 injured in 13 mass shootings that took place all around the country this weekend. It just shows how violent things are getting and how important it is to throw the book at these thugs who are committing the crimes. First off, take a listen to what happened in Philly. This is so scary. On South Street, an area with a lot of bars, very busy area, three people killed, 11 hurt, and there were multiple shooters. Take a listen to some of the sounds of the gunfire because there were just so many shots ringing out. Take a listen. Wow, that is not like a carnival. That is not like firecrackers. Those are gunshots ringing out in Philadelphia on the very popular area of South Street. And here is the Philadelphia police describing what happened. On Saturday, June 4th, 2022, at approximately 11.31 p.m., multiple Philadelphia police officers were stationed on South Street when they heard multiple gunshots coming from the area of 400 South Street. Two of these uniformed officers who were assigned to the 200 block of South Street proceeded to the area of 400 South Street from where they heard the gunshots. There, they observed several civilians suffering from gunshot wounds lying on the sidewalk and in the street. Officers on location began to render first aid to the wounded Wow, how scary to hear. I want to actually, let's do part two of that um, to describe a little bit more of what's been going on there. And another responding officer who was on location and responding to the incident observed an unknown male on the southwest corner of South and American Street firing a handgun into a large crowd on the 400 block of South Street from approximately a half a block away. The officer drew his weapon and fired several times in the direction of the unknown male, we believe striking him. The unknown male dropped his handgun on the sidewalk and ran southbound on 600 American Street. Wow. And they believe that at least five different guns were used. They were found at the scene. Five different guns. They believe there are multiple shooters. And this was just, you know... A horrific, horrific scene. Again, three killed, 11 hurt. And that was in Philly. Now let's go to Chattanooga, Tennessee, 
where, as many of you know, sadly, if you've seen the headlines there, it was a deadly weekend there as well. Take a listen to the police department describing the shooting that happened at a bar, at a busy bar over the weekend in beautiful Chattanooga. This morning at 242 uh, in the morning, CPD units responded to the 2100 block of McCallie at the nearby uh, nightclub on the report of a shooting. And on, once on the scene, they encountered multiple victims and began rendering aid, as well as uh, working to secure the scene. At this time, we can confirm 14 gunshot victims and three victims that were struck by vehicles that were attempting to flee the scene. Three fatalities have been confirmed, two of which are related to gunshot wounds and one of which is related to injuries sustained after being struck by a vehicle. Wow. And Chattanooga's mayor was pleading today saying we have to find a resolution to end the violence in his city. This is not an either or thing. It's a both and thing, right? I mean, this is not the time or the place for a partisan food fight. Uh, This is a time when we need to come together and find out what we can agree on at the federal level to help prevent this sort of thing. Uh, Again, there's there are tens of millions more guns on our streets for American cities than there were before the pandemic. Uh, And, you know, I don't know about you, but I mean, I trust law enforcement to uh, to to help resolve the problem. And and they've been pretty universal about their call for more common sense uh, gun measures. Although, if you listen to law enforcement, they also want to throw the book at repeat offenders, and they're not able to do that. What's happening is it is a revolving door. And in a lot of cities, these guys who are doing busts of smaller offenses, suddenly those offenses are thrown out or minimized. Uh, So it's like a revolving door, and they wait until the crime gets so bad that finally somebody pays a price. As opposed to sending the message early, they seem to be all guns, guns, guns. And in fact, let's talk about what's happened in New York. Because just a few hours ago, New York State took another step to strengthen gun legislation. Governor Kathy Hochul of New York signed about 10 different bills to combat gun violence into law. Now, there's a couple different things on this. One of this is strengthening red flag laws um, that can prevent more people deemed a threat from buying a gun. I actually think that that is important, um, that we need to send a message that if somebody has a violent history, they need to be in a database. Um, But I also think if somebody's a repeat offender, they shouldn't be out on the streets. And we're going to get to that in a moment. She also says that essentially going after social media companies to report hate speech. So who determines what hate speech is? That's a bit of a slippery slope. She also pushes for micro stamping for new semi-automatic weapons. So bullets can be traced back to a gun. That's interesting. Here's the other thing. And this is the one that's making all the headlines. They are raising the age in New York to buy semi-automatic weapons like the AR-15 from 18 to 21. What do you think of that? Now, listen, New York already has some of the toughest gun laws in the country, and yet it's easy for people to get an illegal gun. So do you think this is going to change anything? I mean, on one hand, we have seen cases of late where, like, the guy in Buffalo, remember, he goes into the grocery store right after he turns 18. I don't know why he hadn't been flagged because he had mental issues before, so much so that New York State authorities actually investigated him the year before. 
that should have been red flagged. So we have to make sure that the laws that are on the books already are enforced. Um, so maybe then, yeah, he couldn't have bought the gun under when he turned 18. Look at also what happened recently, of course, and the other shooting, as we know of, in Uvalde. As soon as he turned 18, he bought a gun. He said he wanted to shoot up a school when he turned 18. Sadly, he kept his promise that he bought a gun. He didn't have anything apparent in his background, even though there are a lot of questions and reports that he did in his juvenile record. But then the juvenile doesn't always transfer. And we're going to talk about that with an L.A. case later on in the show. But would this does this really do anything? The one thing I don't hear in here is what about people who are repeat offenders? Why is there nothing in here about like bail reform? Why is there nothing in here about going after broken windows? You know, going after people after they've committed smaller offenses, why, as opposed to waiting till it's so bad? I mean, I think red flag would do some of that. But what about making it punishment as opposed to a flag? And I'm not even talking about like mental history. I'm talking about somebody who has committed a crime. We have seen so many cases in so many states where people over and over and over again are committing crimes and they're still getting out. Why are Democrats afraid to go after repeat offenders? Why is everything gun control? And why is there nothing about thug control? 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Here's a little bit about Governor Hochul, where she made the statement about raising the age for semi-automatic weapons. In New York, we are taking bold, strong action. We're tightening the red flag laws to keep guns away from dangerous people. And we're raising the age of semi-automatic weapons so no 18-year-old can walk in on their birthday and walk out with an AR-15. Those days are over. Those days are over. You hear that? Those days are over. And as opposed to going after repeat offenders... She's going to go after social media. Take a listen. And in the state of New York, we're now requiring social media networks to monitor and report hateful conduct on their platforms. Thank you, Senator Anna Kaplan, and thank you, Assignment Member Patricia Fahey. And now we're going to continue focusing on this. We're going to establish a task force on social media and violent extremism to investigate the role of social media in promoting domestic terror. And our great leader, our Attorney General, will be championing this cause with every power her office can bring it at their disposal. So again, what about repeat offenders? I didn't hear anything about the criminals. I did hear about the red flags. I do think that that's important for people who are loony kazuni. Clearly, you don't want them getting access to guns. But what about going after those who commit crimes? What about the bail reform? Don't you think any of that contributes? This is outrageous. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Phil on line one real quick. Phil, your thoughts. Yeah. Hi, Rita. Uh, I want to compliment you, by the way, uh, that your show is is very remarkable. It tells the people the truth. I, I just wanted to say that. Thank you, Phil. Thank you. I really appreciate You know what? I speak from the heart because I'm an American. I want what's best for the country. And I want to, I also, I believe in common sense. I mean, I think we all want common sense and we all want to be safe. I, I've, I've got a, I got an interesting thing. I, I'd like to play it, but I, I don't think it's appropriate right now. Uh, I got this copy of a cassette recording 
microcassette recording that was made by a de- police detective, an NYPD detective, and he was he was undercover and he was talking with these these gang guys. And I listened to the tape, and basically, a lot of gangs and a lot of wannabe gang members are told, if you want the creds and you want to be part of our team, you want to be in on the gang, you've got to you got to shoot people. This is what this is what the gist of the tape was. And they recommended, they recommended you got to do it in a place where people gather. You can't just walk in the street, shoot one person. You've got to make a scene. This will lend you powerful creds. And apparently, this is traceable to drug gangs as well. And and the thing the thing is, Hochul, Hochul says a lot. Like you said, she failed to address the issue of the repeat offenders. But the thing is, holding social media is very important to account. You must hold them. And Ray, by the way, listen, raising the gun age to 21, you can have a 25-year-old person, man or woman, that goes out and, and just shoots up people. So that's, that's ineffective. And by the way, I've got news for you. If you listen very carefully to reports on shortwave radio from other countries, especially from the Middle East, there are a lot of murders, a hell of a lot of murders, group murders going on of people where they're not using guns. They're slitting that they're running past the crowd and cutting people's throats, stabbing them. It was one where four, four people, four people just standing there in the street got cut up and stabbed. Well, I and mean, also, it's and, not Phil, just a gun. and Phil, you hit a great point because it's not just that. As you bring up, um, you know, in New York, people push on the subway. I mean, there's a lot of these different crazy things that happened. And that's why I think, listen, I think having the guns away from people who are mentally unstable or have made prior threats, 1,000%. I think we all agree on that. And I'm, an, I'm a Second Amendment advocate. I'm someone who believes in the Constitution. But I don't think anybody wants a loony with the gun. On the other hand... I agree with you. We need to go after people. We need to go after the offenders. We're going to continue with your calls, everybody, after the break. one 800 It's the Rita Cosby Show. are talking about a very violent weekend in America, sadly. By the way, homicides up in the U.S., they jumped 30 percent from 2019 to 2020. That's the biggest jump since the FBI has been keeping records. And over the weekend, nearly two dozen people killed, nearly 100 injured in shootings and other incidents across America. It was a very violent weekend. So, What is the root of all this? And are Democrats missing the mark when all they focus on are guns, guns, guns? 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Kurt on line six. Go ahead, Kurt. Your thoughts about some of the solutions that the Democrats are proposing. Well, Rita, I I want to say this. You know, they they talk about red flags, right? So we can, um, you know know who these people are. But then you have this doctor-patient confidentiality issue where they don't reveal it. So how, so how does law enforcement learn, know who these people are? Yeah, you know what? That's why, I, you know, you may have just heard, Kurt, some people are not yes. for the red flag laws. I actually think yes. some of the red flag laws are a great thing um, because just like you said, and also how does a gun seller no, because unless it's flagged in a system, 
And I think there should be some access. I even go so far that if somebody has made claims when they were a juvenile, which is what has happened in a number of these cases, they were investigated as a juvenile, then they turn 18, and then they go to buy a gun, and nothing shows up in the system. So the gun seller doesn't know anything. He just sees somebody with a, with a clean record. I think there should be something confidential. I don't think it needs to be out there for the whole public, but for the places, at least if they're buying a gun or law enforcement, um, any of these locations, I think there should be a flag. What, what do you think, real quick? Of course I do. That's, that's exactly why I called to, to, to voice my opinion about this, because someone has to know. Yeah, I agree. I think there has to be something. I mean, we have to be careful not to go overboard and not to necessarily, you know, uh, have people who are falsely red flagging. It has to, like, literally go through some steps so it's accurate. You don't want somebody, like, squealing on a neighbor or a friend to cause problems for a neighbor or a friend and it's not warranted. But in cases where it is genuinely an issue... It should be in the system, and that person should not be sold a gun, and that person should absolutely be on the radar of law enforcement. When we come back, we're going to talk to the person who's leading the effort to get rid of soft-on-crime DA George Gascon. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Rita Cosby is on. The Rita Cosby Show presents Back to Blue. And in tonight's Back the Blue segment, a powerful story coming from East Lansing, Michigan, where a couple finally gets to meet the 911 operator who helped a boyfriend save his girlfriend's life. Nearly 400,000 calls that come into Ingram County, Michigan's 911 call center annually. Many of them are life and death situations, as you can imagine. Well, one of those emergencies took an unexpected turn, bringing an East Lansing couple together with the 911 operator. Chris Thompson is used to handling emergencies. He's been a 911 operator for 21 years and has taken thousands of calls. But he says one call really stands out one which he took two years ago. A call came in, and he quickly realized the man on the phone needed to administer CPR. A 22-year-old Michigan State wrestler, his name was Chase Beard, was on the other end of the phone, and his girlfriend, Brittany, was unconscious and had stopped breathing. He just remembers saying, do you know how to do CPR? And the guy said no. So the operator, Chris, talked him through what to do next, giving him directions on how to give CPR, and eventually... Brittany began to breathe again. He thought, though, however, he was going to lose the love of his life. She was quickly rushed to the hospital, and she didn't remember much. She had to either get a defibrillator or a pacemaker and had a very, very successful surgery. Thank goodness Um, the surgery went well. She recovered. And then the couple said that they wanted to get in touch and thank the 911 operator who they credit with saving Brittany's life. Time got away from them. The couple graduated from college. They got married. 
And then one day they said, you know what, we need to get a hold of that operator. So they reached out to the department, and the head of the department was so moved by it that she arranged a meeting with all three of them. Chris, the 911 operator, she said, is a good neighbor because he completely helped save her life. And without him, I would not have been able to give CPR. I would not have been able to get my love of my life breathing again until the first responders arrived. Now, Chris said that he was so thankful. This is the 911 operator for doing his job. And he was so grateful to have a good ending because often, in general, a cardiac arrest, by the way, has a 10% uh, survival rate. So he was so happy that in this case, there was a very, very happy ending. And he also said he was honored to meet the people and know that he was able to save their lives. What a great, great story and an important message, too, about those folks who deal with all of these different layers when these 911 calls come in and how important it is to appreciate our great 911 operators. And in this case, and in probably almost every case, they save so many individuals' lives. Well, speaking of individuals' lives, um, it looks like a lot of these soft-on-crime DAs are finally getting a little bit of a reckoning. Tomorrow night in San Francisco, Chesa Boudin, the DA there, is having a recall vote against him. They got enough signatures, put it on the ballot, and the vote is expected to happen tomorrow. And by the way, based on some of the uh, polls that have been coming out, there's a very good chance he could get recalled, and he should. His policies have been so progressive, so I feel like anti-community, anti-victim of crime, seem to be so sympathetic. Uh, San Francisco, I haven't been there in a while. I've been there many times, but I have a lot of friends who have been there, and it has gone downhill like no tomorrow. There is so much crime, so many homeless people. There are homeless encampments in front of the place. It is a mess. And then, as we know, you see it in Philly. You see it in New York, Alvin Bragg, and then case in point with one of the worst progressive DAs in the country is George Gascon. And there is now yet another case before us about George Gascon. This one is about a juvenile, 16 years old, and the video is unbelievable when you see it. He basically steals a car, doesn't have a license, needless to say, plows over a mother and her child, and then George Gascon gives the guy, as punishment, five months in juvenile camp. Not juvenile detention center, juvenile camp, which is basically like one notch stiffer than summer camp, which we all kind of go to for fun of it, you know? I mean, this is unbelievable. And when you look at the track record of this guy, he had a felony, by the way, two years before he struck the mother and child, Um, And he had a felony for spiking a girl's drink while he was in high school. So this guy is not like a nice person. And yet George Gascon at first said, well, you know what? I want to give him a break. This is an appropriate punishment. And he even said that the sheriff there in town agreed with him. Turned out the sheriff, Alex Villanueva, came out a few hours later and said, I didn't agree with him. Uh, 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 uh. I wanted to throw the book at this guy. This guy's lying. Can you imagine how bad it is that the sheriff is basically saying George Gascon yet again is lying? And then George Gascon had to put out a statement saying, oh, I must have misspoke. The sheriff didn't agree with the sentence. What a liar. So anyway, the person who was leading the recall effort for George Gascon 
I think is one of the great heroes out there because he's still working for George Gascon. He is Deputy DA Jonathan Hatami. And uh, Jonathan joins us now here on the Rita Cosby Show. Jonathan, how are you? I'm doing well, Rita, and thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. You know, bravo to you because you are still working for George Gascon. Um, where, first of all, where does the recall effort stand with him now? Because, of course, Chesa Boudin is going to have a vote tomorrow night. Um, that that could be very telling. That could be foreboding for what's ahead for George Gascon. But where does your effort stand? I know you're close. So I anticipate that tomorrow Chesa Boudin will be recalled. I believe the citizens of San Francisco are going to rise up and are going to give Chesa Boudin the boot. And I want to let George Gascon know that he is next. He is next. We have less than 30 days to collect 566,000 signatures. Uh, we are very close to our goal. Um, we, we need to work as hard as we can for this next 30 days and do everything we can. There's so many deputy district attorneys in my office. There are so many citizens. There are so many volunteers who have been dedicating their time, their effort, to trying to get George Gascon out of office. And we have a little bit less than 30 days to collect the signatures. But I do believe we are going to do it and we are going to get the recall on the ballot. Wow. And this is the second time, obviously, second effort to try to get it. How close are you now with signatures? We're very close. People need to understand that we have about 10 million people in L.A. County. There's about 5.5 million registered voters. We have to get 10 percent of the registered voters. So that's about 566,000 signatures. It's never been done in the history uh, of Los Angeles that we've been able to recall uh, a sitting district attorney. We are very close to that. We have over 500,000 signatures. We've sent out 3.1 million mailers to high propensity voters. And we do believe with that and with all the volunteers over the next month, we are going to uh, go over the threshold and get enough signatures uh, to get it on the ballot. But we still need everybody to work as hard as they can. Um, It's like in sports, this is the last leg. And everybody's got to put it in as much energy and effort they have left. They They got to volunteer their time to get the signatures. You know, it's amazing, John Hatami, and I know you know this, in San Francisco, by the way, where George Gascon was before he came to L.A. First he ruined San Fran, and now he's ruining L.A. Um, But in uh, San Fran, obviously a huge Democratic base, just like L.A., and and yet the people are finally saying, enough. Um, Is that sort of the sentiment, too, that you're getting, obviously, on the street to have already gotten 500,000? Are people just seeing so many of these cases over and over again where he is just making the worst decisions for community safety? I mean, I think that's what it is, Rita. Just so you know and and your listeners know, I'm a Democrat. I'm a Bobby Kennedy type of Democrat. I believe in fighting for the little person. I believe in law and order. I believe in public safety. I believe in being fiscally responsible, and I think there's a lot of people like me. I don't. I think my party has left me. My party has left a lot of people. Um, uh, they've kind of gone way left, and you know, my party has left me. And so, really, I believe that many people believe in doing the right thing. I believe in that. Um, I believe that I don't. I don't fight for the party. I fight for the people. 
I'm not a district attorney for the party. I'm a district attorney for everybody. And so I think people in San Francisco have had enough of these progressive policies. I think people in Los Angeles have had enough of these progressive policies. They're not helping people. They're not helping people of color. Um, they're not helping victims. They're not helping children. Um, basically, they're, they're turning our cities into a disaster. Um, there's chaos and there's mayhem, both in Los Angeles and in San Francisco. Um, we have a major unhoused issue. We have a major crime issue. Um, we have a 15-year high in homicides. We have smash-and-grab burglaries. We have follow-home robberies. Robberies with firearms have skyrocketed. Uh, we have people that believe that you, know, that you shouldn't prosecute felons in possession of firearms. We need to enforce the laws that we have regarding firearms, and, and no one has done that. So I believe a lot of individuals, Rita, here in Los Angeles and in San Francisco, have clearly had enough of the progressive policies of my party, and they've had enough of people not caring for others, and we're fighting back. And I, I believe that, that Chesa Boudin is going to be recalled, and I believe that George Gascon is going to be recalled. And we need some more reasonable individuals in leadership, not people who are so partisan. Yeah, 1,000%. I agree with you. And everybody, we're talking to Deputy DA in Los Angeles, John Hatami, who works under very progressive George Gascon, who could be next after tomorrow night. Um, I want to ask you about this latest case, uh, John, because this is amazing that um, here is this juvenile, 16 years old, um, and I'm sure you've seen the video where he just plows over a mother and child, keeps going, by the way. It was a hit and run. And if it wasn't for a good Samaritan in a truck who tried to, like, ward him off and stopped him, he would have kept going. Um, luckily, they caught the guy. Turns out he has a history of another felony and the punishment that George Gascon gives them is five months in juvie camp. Um, what is juvie camp? It sounds, it sounds sadly, pretty light. It, it, this is horrendous. People have to remember, this was an innocent mom just walking down the street with her eight-month-old baby in a stroller. Um, they, they, these were, this was an innocent mom and an innocent baby. Somebody purposely ran over them ran over them, and George Gaston thinks it's more important to coddle this 16-year-old who, who stole a car, who ran over a mom and a baby, who was on probation for spiking a 16-year-old girl's drink, um, and George Gaston thinks it's more important to coddle that person than to fight for the rights of this mom and this baby. That is horrendous for the elected district attorney. The district attorney is supposed to fight for victims supposed to follow the law, and supposed to make sure that the public is safe. This person's going to do five months. They're going to get out, Rita, um, with, with a prior for spiking a 16-year-old girl's drink, for another prior for running over a mom and an eight-month-old baby, no accountability, no responsibility. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to hurt somebody else. And camp is sort of a little bit higher than YMCA. Um, it's not uh, juvenile hall. Um, it's not... Um, it, it, there's, there's a lot of, um, you know, it's not that difficult in camp and it's not really punishment and definitely not punishment for somebody who commits a violent crime. Now I'm not saying all juveniles don't deserve to go to camp. There are a lot of juveniles that will be helped with camp, but not this juvenile. Um, and so uh, it, what's going to happen is he's, he's going to get out uh, from this YMCA type of camp. He's going to feel like he's able to do whatever he wants. 
no accountability, no responsibility, and we all know he's going to hurt somebody else. And George Gascon just doesn't care. How sad is that? And again, we've also heard from like the mother who said, you know, that her baby absolutely would have died if she didn't grab the baby and try to protect the baby. And she is outraged. Um, real quick before I let you go, this isn't the first time. I mean, who's what was I remember we had you on, John, and it was the guy. It was an inmate who wanted to what get George Gascon's like face tattooed uh, uh, on his face. Remember, uh, because he said that guy's a hero. He let me out early, you know. People don't realize that the the elected DA, when he stands up and tells everybody that he's not going to prosecute crime, that he's going to release individuals early, people feel like they're not going to be held accountable for their actions. So we have individuals who want to tattoo the elected DA's name on their face. We have individuals who are toasting the DA, murderers, because they believe they're going to get released early. We have juveniles that are committing crimes. We have 26-year-old individuals who are molesting and sexually assaulting 10-year-old girls and only getting uh, months to years uh, in a juvenile facility. I mean, so we have chaos here in Los Angeles. Basically, we have serious and violent felons who are doing serious damage to innocent victims, and they're not being punished or held accountable for their actions. And it all comes down to George Gascon and his blanket policies, which absolutely do nothing to help public safety or help the citizens of Los Angeles. Well, bravo for you for caring about the citizens and safety first and foremost. I wish you so much luck. We're going to be watching, of course, to see what happens tomorrow with uh, the San Francisco DA, Chesa Boudin. And let's hope George Gascon is next. And uh, we got to have you back on again soon, John. Thank you so much for all you do to keep all of us safe. Thank you. Thank you, Rita. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Great to have you here, John. And when we come back, everybody, we're going to take your calls. 1-800-848-9222. And you're listening to The Rita Cosby Show. This is The Rita Cosby Show. Bravo to John Hatami and all these others who are working on recalls of these far-left progressive DAs around the country, including his boss, George Gascon. They're close to getting it, as you just heard. 566,000 signatures is what's required. It's 10% of the registered voters in L.A. They have over 500,000, so they're close. Um, And think about the guts of this guy. He's still working for them. Imagine what it's like when you go in the office. It's like uh, he and a number of the others. By the way, he's not alone. There's other deputy DAs there that are all working together. It's so bad that these DAs who took an oath because they want to protect the community and they see what's happening firsthand. They know what these people could be sentenced to. And so they see these soft on crime things. They're like, uh, uh, how's it going, boss? Got to go. (laughs) Got to work on the recall against you. You know, but bravo for him for having the guts and caring about the community. I think it's fantastic. And then we'll find out tomorrow night if San Francisco will recall its DA. That would be incredible, and that could be a sign of other things to come. Could that happen in New York with Alvin Bragg, who, boy, is that guy soft on crime? And what do they all have in common? George Soros, who seems to like funding these far-left soft-on-crime DAs across the country. Well, this is what author Michael Schellenberger has to say 
about the similarities between Gascon and San Francisco's DA Chesa Boudin. I think it's not a coincidence that the people that say they hate Western civilization, the people that say they hate America, are advocating for policies that reduce any penalties whatsoever for people that commit extremely violent crimes. But neither Chesa Bodine nor Gavin Newsom nor George Gascon have been reaching out to victims' families. I mean, here you get people mowed down in the street and they mm-hmm. won't even talk to them. Their fundamental concern is with the criminals and with reducing penalties on the criminals. There have to be consequences for behavior. There have to be consequences for breaking the law. Absolutely. And so far, these soft-on-crime DAs keep siding with these criminals. I mean, it's outrageous. Imagine this mother in L.A. is saying, are you kidding me? This guy was trying to drive, uh, you know, us over, was trying to kill me and my child, it should at least be like, you know, uh, an assault with a deadly weapon. No, no, no. George Gascon lowers it. And the guy even has a felony in the background, tries to spike a girl's drink, has a history, doesn't take that into account, uh, doesn't look to even try him as an adult, doesn't look to put him anything in a record, doesn't even put him in a juvenile detention center. Shame on this DA. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Al on line six. Al, your thoughts about these soft on crime DAs and now these big recall efforts, uh, including one tomorrow night. Go ahead. Yeah, Rita, it's always great to hear your, uh, your show. You always keep us informed throughout the nation. Yeah, tomorrow I just wanted to say my own personal preference is that I'd like to see the uh, incumbent district attorney be uh, recalled. As you see what's gone on in San Francisco, uh, uh, especially in a lot of ways, even in uh, the Chinatown and Asian America, the Asian Americans have been really targeted by uh, uh, emotionally disturbed people. They've been pummeled. Uh, also, you know, the stores have been ransacked. A lot of these stores who had businesses in San Francisco they had to pack up and leave because they were just totally, uh, you know, people were coming in and stealing, and you have people in the city openly shooting up. It's it's really gone downhill. You have the mayor, uh, I believe her name is Mayor Bard. She was one of the mayors who, a couple of years ago, had called for the police to be defunded. Yes, and now then she changed it. That, right, she yes, changed exactly. the bell. Now she's changed, yes. But then, you know, it's interesting, Al, she kind of, she flipped, flopped, and now she went back to flip. Because then just oh, recently, she kind of went back a little bit to her defunding. But things were so bad that she tried to kind of, oh, I'm not really sure what you mean about defunding. And then she still hasn't been 100% supportive of the police. But you you hit it on the head. And you know what? There's also all these homeless encampments there where people are openly, as you mentioned, shooting up. Um, and how is that, you know, bringing in, uh, you know, that's that's like a haven for crime. Apparently, there's all this crime that's, of course, happening there, because um, where else would it be if it's a homeless encampment where they're shooting up and dealing drugs and everything else? Um, and it's like they're not doing anything to alleviate this. And how sad is it that this guy, even after the public rebukes, just like George Gascon, they keep doing it over and over again. They they just don't care. Al, thank you very much. Let's go to BJ, line three. BJ, your thoughts. Go ahead, BJ. 
Uh, thanks, Rita, for taking my call. Excellent show. George Soros must be recalled. Be, be recalled. He has a thirty-two billion dollar pipeline of funding left-wing DAs. He's, but he's not a politician. You can't recall him. You know, no, you can I'm pick sorry, it outside his home. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, no, I got it confused. Not George Soros. Chesa Boudin. Chesa Boudin. Yep. And all of these left-wing DAs, they all get the money from Soros, $32 billion pipeline. Also, Soros is on record. He's a convicted criminal breaking the British pound with insider information. And he's been funding all of these legalized marijuana initiatives. These initiatives keep these left-wing DAs in power because they never prosecute marijuana and the crimes that marijuana brings. Yeah, and you know what also? You see them basically saying... Just do it, but do it safely. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's Frank FrankBrunoLaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. Feisty, fearless, and fair. She's an Emmy-winning journalist from the White House to war zones, telling all sides of the story. This is the Rita Cosby Show. And today is the 78th anniversary of, I think, one of the most heroic feats ever. And we're talking about D-Day. Later on in the hour, we are going to be talking to a true American hero, 97-year-old Staff Sergeant Irv Locker, who was in the first wave on Utah Beach Think about what he as a teenager saw when he stormed that beach in Normandy on D-Day. I had the honor to meet Irv when I was over there for the 75th anniversary of D-Day. I had the honor of speaking at some of the anniversary ceremonies, and it was one of the greatest honors of my entire life. Uh, It turns out that the guys who went through Normandy then went up, then went through the Battle of the Bulge, and then were also very pivotal in playing a role. And were in that area where my father was rescued. So most likely the guys who came through Normandy were the ones who actually rescued my father when he escaped from a prisoner of war camp in World War II. So for me, every single day, I am so grateful to be an American. I'm so grateful for these incredible heroes who stormed the beaches. Think of the guts of these guys. And think about where America is today. You know, we're always talking about all this woke culture and all these other things. And do you think that if we pulled some of these kids who are so caught up on woke and political correctness and all that stuff, put one of them on D-Day in Normandy, you know, think about that 78 years ago. They'd go to the bathroom in their pants. They couldn't handle You know, the guts are one one thousandth of the guts of people like Irv Locker and some of these others. And I think there's so many messages of heroism, of what America really means, not just to this country, but to the world. And we're going to be talking to a great American about some of the lessons from D-Day 
and hear it from somebody who was actually there and experienced it as a teenager, as so many of the people who stormed the beach that day. Um, as we know, just think about it. If you have not been, by the way, to Normandy, I encourage you guys to go. It is one of the most powerful moments just to go there and you see the beaches and you think, how did anybody survive? Because it is a long stretch of beach and they had to get up that hill and there were, you know, as we know, Nazi machine guns at the top of that hill and they were just opening fire and anybody on the beach was basically a sitting duck and they had to storm those beaches and one of the people who survived is Irving Locker. He's going to be joining us again in just about a half an hour. You do not want to miss this. It's going to be our Support Our Hero segment tonight because, of course, today is the 78th anniversary, as I mentioned, and how amazing to be able to talk to a true living legend. And when you listen to this guy, he is sharp as a tack, and he remembers that moment as if it was yesterday. And, boy, what a powerful message for America today as we think about all the other things that are going on right now and you think about how important it is as a country, to be together and to stand up for what is right. And that is why right now I get so angry when I see so many of these soft on crime DAs that are happening across the country and so many politicians who are just pandering to their political bases and sitting there either saying, okay, well, we're going to change the age of those getting guns legally. Don't you think most of the crimes that are happening are illegal guns? Well, that's the case. Don't you think most of them are committed by gangs? That's the case. Don't you think a lot of them are happening by repeat offenders? That's the case. Yet it seems like most of the things that we've heard, especially from Democrats in the last few weeks and in the last few years, has all been focused on going after the guns. What about going after the criminals? What about teaching those people a lesson that you can't be committing crimes on good citizens? Case in point is clearly this case of what's been happening in Los Angeles. We were just talking in the last few minutes with John Hatami, deputy DA in Los Angeles, who's leading a recall effort for his boss, George Gascon, because he says this guy is so soft on crime. And boy, the latest case is a shocker. If you see the video, it is of a driver, a juvenile driver who stole a car, clearly didn't even have a license or anything like this, mows over a mother and her child. Amazing that they survived. And guess what? George Gascon finds out the guy has a felony in his background for spiking somebody's drink years ago. And it doesn't matter that there's a felony in the guy's background and that he tries to move over and almost like murder, basically. Luckily, they survive, but it's certainly an attempted murder. But no, not according to George Gascon. He gives the 16-year-old clearly a violent repeat offender. He gives him five months, not in juvenile detention, but five months in basically a stepped-up version of summer camp. It's juvenile camp. It is outrageous. And these people have to have a wake-up call. And I'm happy that tomorrow, Chesa Boudin, who is the San Francisco DA, Thank goodness there's going to be a recall vote tomorrow night, and I hope it passes. I hope they boot him out of office, and I hope it sends a message to these other soft-on-crime DAs across the country, like Gascon, like Alvin Bragg, like the guy in Philly, too, who, by the way, today there was a murder over the weekend. Three people were murdered at this big shootout, as you heard. What does he blame? 
He doesn't blame the shooters, basically. He blames the NRA for allowing guns out there. What is wrong with these Democrats that they are so focused only on guns and yet refuse to go after these repeat offenders? It is so disgusting and it is so laser focused on just guns. I contend you want to focus on guns. You don't want the bad guys to have guns. That's for sure. You want the good guys to be able, who are responsible. That's different. They don't say anything about that. They just want to get rid of guns. They want to go after gun manufacturers. Yet they seem to be afraid to go after gang leaders. They seem to be afraid to go after the people who pull the trigger. What is wrong with Democrats that they are just so laser focused on guns, guns, guns? And that's why to me it looks just so political and it's so shameful, I think, the pandering that they're doing as opposed to going after repeat offenders. And meanwhile, in this case that I mentioned in Los Angeles, Gascon again is sending the juvenile repeat offender to a summer camp. If that doesn't epitomize the soft on crime, progressive DAs and their policies, I don't know what does. This is what Kennedy, of course, one of the hosts on Fox News, had to say about that. Take a listen. A violent kid like that who has no regard for human life, he's going to partially go through the system and come out the other side worse because of the people that he's cavorting with at the Mm. juvenile camp. And it's not a deterrent. It's not punishment. These are the kind of people for whom this system is set up. It's not for people who commit consensual crimes. Those people should not be incarcerated. But Gascon has it completely backwards. Chester Boudin, to your point, he does as well. Boudin will probably be recalled tomorrow. And let's hope Boudin is recalled tomorrow. Here's a little bit more of what she has to say in terms of the fact that what these DAs are doing ain't clearly working because crime is skyrocketing in their Democratic-led cities. That's what this whole thing has been with these ultra-progressive DAs across the country. It has been an experiment. And we see that it has been a failed experiment because crime has gone up and we have not achieved that that precious and necessary criminal justice reform that these DAs say that they are championing. They're not because they don't have answers. They don't have solutions. Yeah, they don't have answers. They don't have solutions. And it's pretty obvious that this revolving door isn't working. And you can sit there and say, we're going to go tough on guns. We're going to go tough on the NRA. We're going to go tough on the gun manufacturer. But we're not going to go tough on the shooter. Why are Democrats tiptoeing about going after shooters and gangs? It is outrageous that they are playing politics. And, in fact, we talked about Kathy Hochul, the governor. She came up with, okay, we're going to go after semi-automatic weapons, saying you have to be 21. We're going to talk about some of the red flag laws. If you have mental health history, what about going after repeat offenders who are showing up before judges? What about saying to judges, enough? You can't just have one level of this and not talk about repeat offenders. They seem to keep purposely not going after that, not scolding DAs. Kathy Hochul, remember, said she's going to cut Alvin Bragg some slack. How much slack does the city of New York have to have? Why are you cutting Alvin Bragg slack? Why don't you say enough? And why are other governors not saying enough? Why does it take the guts of people who are working in the DA's office and citizens in the community to push for recalls? Governors have the power to say, let's get them out of here. It ain't working. It ain't working. Take a listen. This is how Brian Kilmeade describes 
that juvenile repeat offender who now is going to get summer camp, five months of summer camp after attempting to murder and run over a mother and child. Listen to this. Focus on the juvenile. What do we witness in Buffalo? A 17-year-old who showed that he was violent, he was going to shoot up a school, he has a clean record at 18. What do we see in uh, Uvalde? We find a 17-year-old who's trying to buy a gun. When he finally becomes 18, he has a clean record, can get a gun. This guy is a future school shooter. That's exactly what we're raising over here. Look at his background. He does not deserve a clean record, but he's about to get one at 18. Our society needs to be protected by mutants like this. Yeah, you bet. I mean, this guy is clearly a thug. I agree with Brian. This is a future school shooter. This is a future troubled, messed up kid who is a violent offender that you can't keep giving breaks to. It's again, it's like a kid who puts his hand on a hot stove. If he gets burned, maybe he won't put his hand there again. But if he gets a little soft pass and gets to go to summer camp, that's what George Gascon thinks is the appropriate punishment for someone who attempted to kill a mother and child and tried to flee the scene. And thank goodness a good Samaritan stopped him. But that's the kind of punishment that these soft on crime DAs are doing. It's pathetic. Here is a little bit more of Brian saying how bad things have gotten in some of these Democratic-led cities. Things have to get really bad before they get better, almost hit rock bottom. We're seeing hit rock bottom. And this sheriff who's been ignored, Villanueva, who they said flat out he supports this decision. He goes, no, I didn't. He tweeted and he goes, we have to walk that back. That, to me, is extremely significant. If they could recall this guy and then they could recall this guy, that'll be a signal to other people that want a political future. We no longer can have this permissive culture that could ripple effect to empowering our cops again. And successful politicians will be one to be tough on criminals. Yeah, it is time now to say enough. And let's hope that this social experiment by George Soros at all of our expenses around the country, is over. And that tomorrow, Chesa Boudin in San Fran gets, hopefully, the boot, because the recall, they had enough to vote. He hopefully gets the boot tomorrow night, and hopefully that's the beginning and a message that other cities should do the same. It's 1-800-848-9222, 1-800-848-9222. You know, the mother in this case with George Gascon came out and said, She could not believe that he gave the perpetrator, the repeat perpetrator, five months in summer camp. She's like, is that what my life and my child's life basically is worth? Just because he didn't actually kill them, but because it was basically, quote, attempted murder and then he dropped it down, that you're going to give somebody five months in summer camp? You think that that is going to teach somebody a lesson Juvenile camp is like one notch above. By the way, in juvenile camp, they give you points. And if you do well, they give you extra snacks. They give you movie night. I think there's a bowling night in some of these camps. I mean, if that's not disgusting, I don't know what is. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Larry on line one. Larry, what is your reaction to this? I mean, it to me, this is, when I look at this juvenile camp, I mean, it it, it, it makes me sick, Larry. Uh, yeah, Rita, I, you know, I, I, I really appreciate your, your, uh, your wonderful um, desire to help the public, but you have to understand something. 
Elections have consequences. When when you go to vote, you're committing an act. Not you may do it. Not doing a selfish act. Like I I want this guy. You're doing an act of public service. Okay. If these people take their public service obligations so lightly to vote in these people, they have a choice. Let's say let's take New York for example. The the one who finished next to Alvin Bragg was a very highly qualified Persian woman who was in law enforcement. She was a federal prosecutor. She was in law enforcement most of her life, and she lost. Why? Because they, um, they basically got all the uh, African-Americans in Harlem to vote, basically. They did a, uh, you know, a canvassing, and they, activate, you know, they got people activated, and they, and they got this guy to edge her, edge her out. But what about all the white people that voted for this guy? I mean, they, you know, the point is, is that we're empowering these these politicians. I don't know the races of these California DAs, but I just know in New York we're they're, empowering they're Caucasian. These they're Caucasian. Um, okay. but, but but Larry, you know what? You bring up a good point. The one thing is, though, I think um, a lot of times when people vote, um, and Larry, thank you very much for the call. We appreciate it. But you know, a lot of times when people actually vote they don't really realize i don't think as much about da's because there really hasn't been that much focus to da's until recently and i think it's because crime has gotten so bad in cities and people are really starting to learn about the role of the da's i mean a lot of times when you go into the voting booth you just kind of check off this 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 and this and you don't often really realize the difference between the da's as much but you you know, this has been a wake-up call. I bet you, not just in New York and in L.A. and in Philly and in San Francisco, um, I bet in cities around the country, next time when people go in and they vote for DAs, there's just been such an awareness and such an education. And, I, you know, I'll tell you, I have, very, I have friends who are highly educated, and they said that, you know, I never really thought about it before of the role that they play. I never really thought that they're the ones who can have discrimination in terms of sentencing. Uh, I never really, really realized. Um, and, you know, part of the role, too, in the Alvin Bragg case, Larry, I really firmly believe that in his case, too, that there was so much money behind him because the one thing, and I keep bringing this up, the name George Soros because guess what? He spent a lot of money on Alvin Bragg, too. And money definitely helps in campaigns, especially when it's not like a lot of people voting. You know, a lot of people just kind of checking the box and whoever kind of gets more endorsements gets to buy more advertising. And that's where money really does help. And it helped him tremendously. We're going to continue with your calls, everybody. one 800 848 this is the Rita Cosby Show. Here come the jesters. One, two, three. And speaking of jesters, tomorrow, Chesa Boudin, the DA of San Francisco, in a historic vote may get booted from office by Democrats in San Fran who are fed up with crime like this activist. Take a listen. I think it sounded very good. But in practice, we saw the results. We saw people getting hurt, people getting killed. After a group of them destroyed downtown, came to San Francisco Chinatown and destroyed the 400 and 500 block of Grand Avenue. 
and my team and I, we helped the police catch four looters. We believe that Chester Bodin is not the right person to do this job because he consistently, consistently shows that he is siding with the criminals. He is a former public defender, and that's his, all he knows. He doesn't understand what it is to represent a victim. Yeah, and it is time for him and other soft-on-crime DAs to go. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Solomon in Toronto, who's calling on Line 8. Go ahead, Solomon, your thoughts about this. Well, I read it. i just like to point out uh, the Bible, Proverbs 28.5, because uh, in early January, uh, Alvin Bragg, he said, when there was major pushback, Alvin Bragg went on the record and said, I don't understand the pushback. And King Solomon said, evil people don't understand justice, but those who follow the Lord understand completely because he doesn't understand justice. He's evil. Yeah, he he does not seem to get it. I'll give you that, Solomon. Uh, Great call. Very interesting call. Thank you so much, Solomon. Uh, Let's go to Michael on line six. Michael, your thoughts. Hey, Michael. Michael, can you hear me? Yeah, now go ahead. Yep. Okay. Um, somebody's got to uh, talk to Ho-Hum Hochul. And the say, the governor of New York. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did I call her Ho-Hum? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sure you are. Um, now, why? Do you feel she's obviously – she needs to – she she has talked about getting tough on criminals, Michael. But it's interesting because she keeps saying, I want to cut Alvin Bragg slack and i contend there is no time to cut him slack for the people of new york i i mean uh, we don't want slack we want justice and we want safety let's go to max uh line one max your thoughts about all this yes rita thank you for taking my call i think there might be a streak of this some sort of silver lining in all of this and um, i'm going to make reference to an individual who calls up here uh calls up to your show stan quite often uh, denying that any of this stuff exists and it's really not that bad. I think the silver lining in here is that uh, when the Keystone pipeline was taken um, was taken down, taken out. Really quick, made... Max. Real quick. Okay. All right. As gas prices go up, Max. Max, you're up. all over the place. You are all over the place. But we let you talk anyway. Coming up, a D-Day veteran. Rita Cosby is on. Cosby Show presents Support Our Heroes. And in tonight's Support Our Heroes segment, Staff Sergeant Irv Locker is one of the most well-known D-Day veterans, and he was heralded by then-President Donald Trump at his State of the Union address in 2019. Of course, today is the 78th anniversary of D-Day, that historic moment where brave young men stormed the beaches and played a pivotal role in liberty and freedom for the world. Staff Sergeant Irv Locker was a teenager when he stormed Utah Beach. And joining us now is great American and my dear friend, Irv Locker. Irv, it is such an honor to have you here on the anniversary of D-Day. Thank you. It's my honor to be with you and to help any betray I can. Well, you know what? It is so important that everybody remembers the incredible heroism of you and your comrades that day. 
Take us through, Irv, what that was like when you were storming the beach. Here you're a young guy, first wave Utah Beach. What was that yeah. like? Well, the only the only answer that I can give you on that basis of they want to know what was going through our mind. And the only thing that was going through everybody's mind is that the, the long life that we promised ourselves could be shortened very, very fast with one bullet uh, to that point. Because we went in on D-Day uh, on uh, Utah Beach, and we went in there to protect the Sherberg, air, uh, Sherberg port. Uh, now, we had 90-millimeter guns. People have no idea what that is. It's nine-and-a-half-ton guns. The barrel was 15 feet long. I could shoot at a plane 25,000 feet up into the air. It, with that, our ammunition, people have no idea. Our ammunition was three feet tall and weighed 45 pounds each shell. And I must talk about one fast thing. Uh, at that time, before computers, we had radar. Now, the radar machines could tell me the height of the plane, the speed of the plane, the direction of the plane, and how far in front of that plane I'd have to shoot in order to hit that plane. So that's a miracle in itself, basically. And that was new back then. That was an incredible accomplishment. Incredible. We call it a a magnificent piece of equipment because we had the highest amount of Nazi planes shot down. My outfit did in the entire First Army. It, It was an unbelievable situation. Plus the fact that with that ammunition, our ammunition was three feet tall each shell. Three feet tall and weighed 45 pounds each shell. Plus the fact beside the plane, Rommel was going to put tanks on the beaches to keep us out. We had the ammunition of that type of gun. With that ammunition, I could go through a a German tank like a piece of glass. So we've got credited with with planes and tanks. And that's why we went in. We were the first ones to, um, after D-Day, we were the first ones entering Germany. It's a whole complete history, but it was because of the 90-millimeter guns that put us into that situation because we could shoot at planes. We could knock down tanks. Uh, and when they had our um, Americans surrounded five miles away, I could shoot five miles away and hit them and, and prevent them from uh, annihilating our, our, our troops. And everything is in writing, and, and I didn't write it. So everything is here in history to that point. So um, it's it's very, very authentic. And everybody, we are talking to D-Day veteran Irv Locker, who was first wave Utah Beach. You know, you talked about, of course, being part of the First Army's uh, 7th Corps. You were the 116th AAA gun battalion. Listen, Rita, explain. AAA means anti-aircraft, anti-tank, and artillery. People don't understand what AAA means. It's anti-aircraft, anti-tank, and artillery. Because with that gun... I could shoot at planes, I could knock down tanks, and save lives with the artillery. Tell me about, first of all, how old you were, how young, really, you were when you were storming the beach, and and you had to have been nervous. I mean, it, it must have just oh, been oh, um, unbelievable. Absolutely. They took me right out of high school, drafted me. We went into uh, uh, training, but not we were not assigned. Uh, uh, I came out of New Jersey, so we, were, we went into Fort Dix not assigned to any outfit, just uh, uniforms and guns, etc. shooting a rifle. Then we were assigned to the 160th AAA Gun Battalion. So that's the outfit I went in 
on Utah Beach with, and that's the unit. That's the unit we were attached, and that's the unit I stayed with. With that, and the only thing that I keep saying to you and to everybody else, they keep talking about what went through your mind <laughs> landing on Utah Utah Beach, and basically with them shooting at you and everything else, it's it's unbelievable. And of course, living through the the, uh, the forest, living through the Hurtgen forests, we had no toilets, no sinks, no showers. Everything had to be brought to us. And we went in originally to protect the Sherberg port because of the fact that everything had to be, everything had to be brought to us. Food, water, ammunition, medicine, clothing, everything had to be brought to us. So we had to protect that that beach, that Sherberg beach. That's why we landed on Utah Beach at that stage. Did you realize, Irv Locker, when you were storming Utah Beach on D-Day, how pivotal of a moment that was for history? No, no, I, honestly, no. Uh, to be honest with you, at that particular stage of our life, we were concerned with our own life and getting onto that beach because the, the, everybody on that beach kept hollering, get off the beach. On the beach, you're a victim. Off the beach, you're a warrior. Get off the beach. Because what we had to do is they were, when we landed on that beach, they had people directing us so that we, our big guns, our 90-millimeter guns coming in had to be directed to us. Then we were assigned a field, and we set up each one had four guns to a battery. So each, each battery had one, uh, four of these 90-millimeter guns. And there were four, there were 16 of these guns in a battalion. So when I talk about the fact of shooting down planes and tanks and artillery, uh, it's, a, it's an amazing situation. Plus the fact that people don't realize the ammunition, as I said before, was three feet tall, and we had what we call a a, a unit on that uh, that the bullet would explode. It called a fuse setter. So when we shot up from the radar, radar connected to each gun by cables, so we could get the height and the the, the direction. And when we got to the height, when we shot the bullet, the bullet would explode because of this uh, explosion there, and figuring that the planes would fly into all of the shells, you know what I mean? The, the shells would explode. It's amazing to hear, you know, and after, of course, you go through D-Day, then you were at the Battle of the Bulge, um, and you yep. also helped free a Holocaust camp, Garden Lagen. Yes. What do you want people worst, to know, Irv Locker? It's the worst thing in, I've ever seen in my life. Man's inhumanity to man is the worst I have ever seen in my life at that Holocaust camp. I mean, it was totally brutal, totally brutal of what they did to not only the men and the women and the children. Uh, it, 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 it tore my heart out uh, with that, believe me. Uh, and then, of course, I, I, you know, we stopped at the Elbe River. I'm Jewish. The Jewish language is a derivative of German. So I went into Berlin. I went into it to try to help settle some of the little towns and stuff with it. So it was an amazing uh, situation, how bad. But the Holocaust camp was the worst I have ever seen. I have pictures with my own camera. I put it into a book to show people how man's inhumanity to man, how difficult life can be because of that factor. 1,000%. I can't even imagine, Irv, you know, what you have experienced. You know, I'm here on the 78th anniversary of D-Day. 
Um, what yep. is your message, especially to young people, and what do you think is the message of D-Day? The message to me, to young people, is freedom was not free. We had to fight for that freedom and maintain that freedom, and they had to appreciate every soldier and every veteran that that could that that was there or could, who helped so that they could have a free life. And that's what I talk about, and that's what I lecture about to that point, that freedom is not free. And the amount of people that lost their limbs, their arms, their legs, uh, lost their lives for the same factor so that people could be free. And that's because people, some, some people still talk about the fact that the Holocaust never happened. And, and it's a ridiculous situation. But they better never tell me that because I'm little, but I carry a big gun. <laughs> so they, they better never tell me about the Holocaust. I've got actual pictures of, of, of the dead people. They took a, a thousand people. They were afraid when we got toward the uh, Elbe River. They were afraid that the prisoners could identify uh, um, the guys who were who were in charge. So they put a thousand people into a barn, put hay and straw on the floor, put gasoline on it, and lit it. Locked the doors. Anybody who tried to get out was machine gunned. So you can imagine what when I saw that. Uh, believe me when I tell you, I'm 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 Jewish. Uh, when I saw that, uh, the first thing I did was throw up, and, and then I sat down and cried because it was so man's inhumanity to man was so bad that I, I I couldn't handle it. So that's how bad it was, and that's what we approached, and that's what I have pictures of. So unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, Irv Locker, thank goodness you survived to tell these yes. important messages for history so the world never forgets the sacrifice of everybody who helped with that everybody camp who to liberate it, Battle of the Bulge, and, of course, on this anniversary of D-Day, too. Thank you for everything, and you keep sharing your stories and your messages because the world needs to hear, and it's such a blessing and a gift to have you here on this anniversary. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for letting me express my myself to people so they understand what we went through so that they could be free and have what they have today. Well, we are so grateful for you, Irv Locker. Thank you and your comrades. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Wow. What an honor to have here on the show, Irv Locker, 97 years old, first wave Utah Beach. Uh, and think about what that was like as a teenager going in and storming the beach and knowing you had to get there to the end. It looked like forever, that stretch of beach that he had to go through. I walked those beaches there, and I walked them with Irv um, on the 75th anniversary of D-Day with he and some of these other veterans. And if you have never been to Normandy, everybody, you all need to go uh, because that is a place of heroes. And we should never forget the sacrifice of people like Irv Locker, who are still alive, hear their stories, and also so many who did not make it back. Uh, that cemetery there goes on for miles upon miles. And it's like, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, when I was there, I just wept. I was just so grateful to be an American and so proud 
of these incredible men like Irv Locker who are still living among us. So if you get a chance to see a D-Day veteran, I've told the story before, but I was there and I'll never forget. I saw a woman there in France who saw one of the veterans. And when she saw that he had a hat on that said D-Day veteran, she started kissing his feet right in front of me. And she said, we would not be a free world if it wasn't for people like you. And the veteran just cried and the woman just cried. And uh, for me, that says it all. Um, And thank God we live in the greatest country in the world where we have people like Irv Locker and others who are courageous enough to get out of those boats and storm the beaches and do it for all of us. 1-800-848-9222, 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Greg on Line 8. Uh, Greg, your thoughts about that? I'm so moved to talk to people like Irv Locker and living legends. Go ahead. Yeah, 100%. It was a good interview. He was a great guy. You know, just unbelievable, you know, what sacrifice these men and women did for us and and, and the people still here in the country don't, don't even recognize that at all. It's such a shame. You know, this poor guy it, it must turn his stomach if he pays attention to any of this garbage that's going around. It's just, it's just such a shame. What a good human being. You know, I, I, I mean, I'm almost in tears. I, I am such a lucky guy to be in this country. Uh, you know, uh, I, I just don't I know what to say. You know, good interview, really. You, you really, you really said all the right things. You, you know, God bless you for uh, asking that man to talk about his experience. And, and I don't know who else heard this, but uh, everyone should hear. Thank you very much. Thank you. And I agree with you. And young people need to hear that kind of message too, Greg, you know, because it's like you think about these kids who are just, you know, complaining that, uh, you know, that uh, they're doing this or they're doing that or they're worried about, you know, uh, the wokeness and changing, you know, names of a statue, you know, or upset about a statue's name. Uh, You think that uh, the guys on the beach in Normandy were thinking about a statue's name? Uh Uh-uh. They were thinking about liberty and freedom and their lives uh, and think about, you know, and this country that we love so much and the values that we love so much. And it's such a reminder, too, of that good people have to work together and appreciate everything that this country stands for and that guys like Irv Locker fought for. Um, Greg, thank you so much. Let's go to Norman. Norman on line seven. Go ahead, Norm. Your thoughts. Yeah, Rita. Listen, thank you so much for having a World War II veteran, especially on this date, 78 years. It's amazing that in 2022, we still have people who are still alive from that event. Um, you know, I, I had uh, personally, I had three uncles who were involved in the D-Day invasion. My Uncle Marty was in the Navy. He transported people like Irv onto that beach. And my Uncle Bellman, he was a soldier. He was, uh, I don't know the exact capacity of what he did, but he was definitely a D-Day. And my Uncle Sidney was a medic and used to tell me, all three of them have passed away, but my Uncle my uncle Sidney used to tell me stories about being a medic and about, unfortunately, all the dead and how he would, uh, you know, at, at the, the bodies were laying all around and how they body bagged them. 
and sometimes wow. they couldn't couldn't even identify them. They would just have pieces of, of, of humans, and they put them in bags together and try to identify them. And uh, anyway, um, wow, you know, you know, you know Norm, we, we have to, we have. Go ahead, Norm. You know what I was about to say to you that first of all, you come, you have great genes. First of all, Norm, I mean, boy, you, you come from a family of heroes, and I think about, I, I wonder so much of like, you know. You look at the country now and you look at teenagers mm-hmm. now um, and mm-hmm. what they complain about and, the you know, all the PC stuff and how caught up people are and, you know, and all, you know, it's like, are you mm-hmm. kidding me? Like, you know, you talk to somebody like an Irv Locker or your family mm-hmm. um, and it puts it all in perspective, Norm, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it certainly does. And we, we've got a, I mean, listen, uh, yes, they were the greatest generation, no doubt. Um However, uh, I'd like to still believe that there, we still have patriotic young men and women who are in our our services. Absolutely, who, would do the same things. So you know, I uh, I I do have hope out there that there are still Irv lockers out there, uh, and uh, that's it. But I definitely want to give thanks to Mr. Locker and uh, all our surviving World War II veterans that are still out there that we will always give thanks to them for freeing this country and keeping us, uh, you know, it would have been a very different world if the Japanese and the Germans would have won. So, you know, uh, we we have to give thanks to them. Yeah, 1,000%. And Norman, by the way, thank you so much for your family, too. Um, wow, what a bunch of great heroes in your own family, too. Thank you so, so much. When we come back, we're going to continue talking about this. And also, what we've also been talking about is standing up against crime and making sure our cities are safe. And these soft-on-crime DAs and Democrats who only talk about guns, 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 and not talking about thugs, thugs, thugs. That and a lot more after the break. It's the Rita Cosby Show. And we are talking about how many Democrats are focused on guns, going after the gun manufacturer, yet they're not talking about repeat offenders. And also we're talking about a lot of these soft-on-crime DAs who refuse to throw the book at people. It's crazy. Take a listen. This is John DeVito. He is an ATF agent in charge for New York. And he says... There's a lot of layers to this. Take a listen. Well, it comes down to stopping the shooting cycle, which is our number one priority when it comes to reducing violent gun crime in this city, protecting the lives of the innocent. Stopping the shooting cycle or disrupting the shooting cycle is so paramount. And what you have to do in that situation is actually remove that gunman from the equation for at least a period, a brief period of time so we can stop or disrupt that shooting cycle. Uh, I think bail reform, the discovery laws were well-intended, but I don't think anyone foresaw the repercussions that were going to come from this and the fact that we have the inability to hold people. Yeah, and guess what? We're not holding them because it seems like a lot of governors are not putting these DAs in check. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Stan. Line four. Go ahead, Stan. I wanted to respond to your visitor from World War II. I thought he was remarkable in what he said. And, uh, oh, he was. Wasn't he but, amazing? 97 years old, yeah, Stan. Yeah. What and a hero. Of course, of course, we had Eisenhower. We had Marshall. We had uh, Nimitz. 
We had the greatest generals at that time. But somewhere along the line, Rita, we lost our way. In the last 50 to 60 years, we've been betrayed by our leaders and in some instances by our military. And that also has to be mentioned. I think what he did was great. He is the greatest generation. But we've lost our way over the last 40 or 50 years. So how do we get it back, Stan? How do we well, get our way back? We don't go into wars we don't need to go into. That's one of the reasons. World War II was exact. We knew what we had to go after. Hitler, Mussolini, Tojo. It was right in front of us. We knew what, what, was, what was the situation. No, absolutely. You're right. It was 40, clear. For 50 years, yep. we've been betrayed by our presidents. We've been betrayed by our military. The Pentagon Papers proved that beyond a reasonable doubt. Well, I mean, and by the way, Stan, even though I know you can't stand Donald Trump. I didn't mention it, it. Well, and no, I'm going, hang on, hang on. I'm going to because that was one of the things he was very much against going into wars for the sake of wars. He very much, and in fact, remember, he was very critical of the Iraq War, and that's what sort of started the whole thing with him and uh, Liz Cheney, because her father was very much a big supporter of that when he was with President Bush. And one of the things President Trump said was, let's not gratuitously get into a war for the sake of it. And here we are, Stan, I know you won't admit it, but that's what he said.